Good morning. Uh, it's a great privilege to be with you all here this morning. I, uh, as, as Matt introduced me earlier, I'm John Kraft. I'm the RF Campus Minister at Rhodes College and very excited to be here with you all this morning. Um, it, there comes with a little bit of sadness, as you know, uh, as Matt said in the announcements, that Rhodes RUF decided to go all virtual this semester, uh, including not having students live on campus. And so it's very strange because this would be the Sunday uh, that normally uh, we, you would probably be seeing some new students um, or even some old students uh, in the audience uh, attending the church. And instead, they're, they're at home and, and they're not here. And, and it's, it's a very sad thing. And, and uh, you know, I was just thinking about even, uh, you know, two weeks from now, Normally, both Memphis RUF and Rhodes RUF would have a big barn dance uh, in this building, and it's, it's one of pretty much my students' favorite thing uh, we do all year, and it's just a, it's a really weird thing to not uh, be looking forward to that this fall. And so uh, if y'all would just be praying for us for wisdom and figuring out what we're going to do this semester and uh, prayer for uh, just our staff and our leadership as we think through how best to reach students uh, when they are very far away. And we can only be, you know, re, you know sort of fellowship with them uh, through screens and through computers. And just pray as we kind of think that I'm, you know, trying to become as dynamic as possible on Zoom. And uh, I need a lot of help with that. So if you'll pray for that as well. And, and just make the virtual experience. It'll never be, uh, and this is one of the points we made in our leadership meeting last week, uh, you know, it will never be as good as it could be uh, in person. You know, virtual ministry can never match up to actually being able to fellowship with one another uh, in person. But if you can just pray that as we think through it, that, that the students uh, will feel reached, will feel loved, that we can still, uh, you know, pursue them in all these things, especially freshmen, as, as they, you know, aren't coming to school and have already had a strange senior year uh, of, of like no real closure and no real graduation. Um, so you can just pray for us as we seek uh, to pursue them and love them as well. So uh, when Matt asked me uh, to teach this week, I was trying to think through uh, different passages. I even looked at some parables to continue the theme. But uh, but there's a passage that I keep coming back to throughout the summer as I sort of reflect on what I'm feeling uh, about all this and kind of uh, these times uh, that we're going through right now. And so that was First Peter uh, that y'all just heard and was read, First Peter 5, 5 through 11. And so if you'll pray with me, uh, we'll dive into this passage and, and sort of reflect on these times and, and, you know, maybe what I've been going through and what God uh, is wanting to do in my life and your lives right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, how you hold us, Lord. I thank you for this church and the fellowship, Lord, uh, still being able to meet uh, in person outside, uh, still being able to do things like youth group, Lord, and, and, and the gift that is being able to do ministry virtually and getting to um, still worship you, even though apart, uh, and that feeling of being together, Lord. I pray that you would speak to your word, uh, your, your word to us this morning, and that you would encourage us with your gospel. I pray this in your name. Amen. So if I can say, you know, what uh, this time has been like for me, I, I would say at times lonely. I would say at times 
you know, frustrating and, and angering as we see things like injustice and, and all the other things that are going on and sometimes failed leadership at times, uh, sometimes leaders who we had disagree with. Um, but most of all, I would say humbling. I would say that this time, at least for me, has been humbling. You know, and that growing up in Memphis, uh, one of the things you learn about, you know, in elementary and high school is, uh, is the yellow fever epidemic that came through and destroyed much of the city in the 1870s. And at the time, Memphis was, you know, a top five, top 10 city in the United States that it was looking like it was going to be one of the great American cities. And yet this yellow fever epidemic came through the city and devastated it. And so many people, uh, so many immigrants and so many people who had come and settled in Memphis left uh, because they were nervous about the sickness. And, and I always read that sort of thing, uh, you know, this plague and this epidemic is something that happened in the past, happened in old times, that in our, you know, that our day, that, you know, our mo more modern time, we wouldn't have something like this. We wouldn't have an epidemic. We wouldn't have a plague. So, so the coronavirus has been very humbling to me about sort of our society and our infrastructure. And it's been humbling to me as I look at, you know, all of my plans uh, for this coming year. Uh, you know, all the things I had planned to do. I mentioned, you know, the barn dance. Uh, so many great things going on in RUF. We had our biggest leadership group ever. We were so excited about reaching out to freshmen that were going to move in this week. You know, all these plans... And yet, they've been wiped out. All the things going on in my life, my schedule, my expectations, and this virus comes along and upends all of it. And it's very, very humbling. It's humbling because you realize how little power and control you really have. And whatever power and control you do have, you quickly realize your sort of lack of gifts or wisdom to sort of overcome and deal with the current situation. You know, the reality is that I've, I've more and more realized is that I am not in control. And, and, and further, that, that I am not God. You know, and probably one of the more humorous parts of all this for my students uh, at Rhodes talking to them, especially in the spring, has been all these sort of godlike adults in their lives, their professors, these great intellects, uh, watching them attempt to use Zoom. You know, all these professors, their accomplishments, their experience, their scholarship, their power, their knowledge, you know, their gift of being able to teach, and they, and they look like, like just foolish novices trying to teach virtually, trying to figure out Zoom and, and, and trying to share a screen, and, and all these kind of crazy things pop up. You know, their professors have been super humbled by all this. You know, and, and before this, I would have said, you know, if you'd asked me, if I'd been really honest, I would have said, you know, like, I, I realize that, 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 that I'm not God, you know, like, I, I think I'm pretty humble. I understand my weaknesses. You know, I don't go around actively thinking how great I am all the time, you know, and, and you know, I hang out with all these college students with their talents and with their gifts interact with so many gifted pastors and people doing ministry, you know, people that are great at their jobs and people who are great parents. I know I'm not God. But part of this subtle problem of my heart and, and of sin is that I begin to sort of play God or, or think at least I, I, I might not be God, but, I, but I'm pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty in control of my little kingdom or my little kind of slice of the world. You know, whether that thinking that, that I know best in my family, in my ministry, 
know, that my plan for my life is the best plan for my life, or, or that I need to just control everything and everyone around me in my life. And so all the stuff that I'm doing and that I'm thinking about and that are important to me, those are the things that are the most important. And no one better, you know, upend that or change that in any way or get in my way. You know, and all the opinions I have are right. Especially when we feel out of control, we can often look to our children or our siblings or our friends, you know, to try to control them, to try to regain some sense of what we lost. You know, we especially like to maybe post on social media to feel that sense of control. It seems especially hard for me right now, you know, to say to, to other people or online, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, when a bunch of people came to Jesus in Luke 13 to discuss two events, you know, one a disaster, the other event, um, those in leadership doing something evil, Jesus' response was first to tell people to repent. Basically, you know, before when bad things happen in times of suffering, it's always a time to be humble, that you are not God. Now, of course, Jesus does not leave it there, and we should never leave it there in the midst of suffering. But for times like we are going through, it's a time to remember that we are not God, or even little gods of our little kingdoms. So Peter here in this passage is telling us to humble ourselves. One thing that, that I've had to come to grips with is the unease, the frustration, the discomfort uh, that this humbling has caused me, and that it's, that it's okay. That, that being humbled, feeling like you're not in control is actually something that is okay you know, that God can actually be present as I am humbled. That God could be using this event to humble especially my own self-righteousness and my desire to control everything and everyone around me. To be okay. That it's okay to feel powerless and out of control. Again, and, and I think Matt's going to be speaking about this in the next few weeks, uh, but Jesus says elsewhere that blessed are the meek. You know, the powerless, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know, and as an aside, you know, humility is not thinking yourself less worthy or, or, or essential than other people. Humility is not despising yourself, you know, because you are wonderful. You are created in the image of God. Humility is actually recognizing that you are not better than other people. You know, it is fleeing self-righteousness. And humility is admitting that you are not God. That you are like him, that you are created in his image, but that we are not God. We can give up control and just trust in God and serve others made in the image of God. This is one way the devil tempts us in these times, and this is what verse 8 refers to, is towards self-righteousness and thinking of ourselves as better than others. We are told in Philippians to have the attitude of Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So basically, the first point is it's okay to be humbled. It's okay to feel weird. 
It's okay during these times. Secondly, of course, it's one thing to be humbled and know that you are not God. But that, that just in itself would leave me angry and frustrated and sad, as I often have been these last few months. But we see that in verse 7, that we have a God who cares about us and loves us more than we could ever dream. He cares. And we are called to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. You know, and cast is this picture. It's not the sense of like, you know, lightly, uh, you know, lightly putting our anxieties on, on God or, you know, waiting till God's in the right kind of frame of mind to put our anxieties on him. No, casting is this picture of somebody throwing something forcefully, of taking a heavy object and throwing it against a wall as hard as possible. That we are called to cast to throw all our anxieties upon God. This picture of casting makes me always think uh, uh, several years ago when Lee came home from the hospital with our daughter Lizzie. Now, our, our, now William, our oldest son, was about one and a half to two at the time, and his mom you know, came home uh, with Lizzie and, and hugged him, but I could even see it then in William's eyes that that his mom was holding this other little person and giving her all the attention. And while the hug was great and she held William for a little bit, well, then she put him down and went back to holding this new person, Lizzie. And William didn't know what to think about that. And as well, Lizzie was born before a big conference in RUF and that I was going to be gone. And so all of a sudden, to William, he was not the focus. He had spent the first year and a half, two years of his life being the focus, that any time anybody came over to our house, the focus was on him. That, that, that every morning and every night, the focus uh, from Lee was on to him. And, the foc- and my focus when I came home was on him. And yet now, he wasn't the focus, and, and about a week into this sort of major paradigm shift for William with the entrance of his little sister, we had a moment where his little toddler self just kind of stood in front of the TV in our den and paced back and forth and sort of sh- shook his fist at us, sometimes both fists, sometimes just one, and screaming at us kind of giving us everything he had, his anger, his frustration, you know, his, all of his anxiety that he could muster. And it seemed like hours, and, and it might have been, where he just was yelling at us, and he could not be comforted, he could not be consoled, and he just was letting us have it, because his world had been upended. There was just no consoling him. And then finally, he basically just almost fell asleep standing up and just kind of collapsed on the floor and we picked him up and we went and put him to bed. And then he got up the next day and he was fine. And he was fine. I mean, you know, he was toddler fine, so of course he was upset at some point, but, but he never did that again. And it feels like he had cast all of his frustrations and anxieties onto us. And I think he finally just accepted well I guess I'm just going to have to trust mom and dad who love and care about me, about this new paradigm of having a sister. And I always think about that because I think that's the kind of faith 
in God that I wish I had. The faith to know that God cares about me so much that I can pace back and forth, that I can shake my fist, that I can throw a tantrum towards him. You know, like a real tantrum, like what the psalmists and the prophets do over and over again. That I can put all my troubles and my anger onto God, cast them onto him. And then like William, once exhausted, move on in faith that my heavenly father knows best for me, that he loves me more than I even love myself. And that is the theme of so many Psalms. And we can do this because he is actually God, not us. And that he is a God of grace, verse 10 says. He does not ask us to come to him having got it under control or or with the right frame of mind or, or having lived righteously. We are called to cast all of our anxieties onto him wherever we are. And so go to God. Throw all your frustrations, all your canceled summer plans, you know, your messed up grades and classes, your messed up business opportunities and bank accounts, your planned events, your plans for the year. Cast them on to him because he is a God who cares and a God who knows that you need to vent to him to get to a place of faith and humility sometimes. He can handle it. God can take all our blows and complaints and our anger upon himself. And not only is fine, but embraces us with his grace and his love. By the way, he's also God, so he knows what you're thinking anyway. So why do we try to hide it from him? Just like a parent often knows what a child feels and thinks, but still wants to hear it. How much more our heavenly father who loves us wants to hear our worries and concerns. And as Jesus points out in Matthew 6, prayer is way more productive than just worrying. Because if we don't vent to God all our anxieties and our anger and our frustration, what this passage here says is that the enemy, the devil is there. And that might seem weird to talk about the devil and stuff, you know, but demonic activity is not always, is not often even some horror movie. It's usually subtly convincing us that God doesn't care or that God is angry about all our frustrations and anxieties, you know, or that, that to come to him in prayer, we have to clean ourselves up or get it together. But that's not what Peter is saying here. So I ask you, what do you do with your anxiety? What do you do with your anger? Because for many of you, this has been a time of returning, you know, to addictions that you thought were over or finding whatever you can to numb all these uncomfortable feelings, all that unease and that humbling that comes over you. You know, it's maybe been a time to going to places online or in your head that you really know will never heal your true longings. You know, getting caught up maybe in conspiracy theories or online debates, you know, that distract us from just concentrating on loving those around us. You know, and I can say as a minister, ministers love to do this with theology, to get so caught up in theology that they don't love the people around them. Peter is telling us, do not numb these anxieties or hide from them. Bring those to God, a God who is in control, 
and to be sober and alert to the lies that we can believe sometimes, especially about God and the lies we believe about others not loving us or not caring about us. Because this is also a time when, when you can really get into your own head. You know, that's often been my problem, struggling to sleep. You know, the voice that has been strong in my head, the one that tells me, you know, that, that I'm worthless, that I'm irrelevant, you know, that, that I am unloved. Because the evil one, again, like the passage says, is always looking for someone to devour. And he either wants us to think that we're God or when we're humble and when we're lonely, he wants to tempt us to think that we are nothing, that we are worthless, that we are unloved. But both of those are lies. God says overwhelmingly to you, I love you, I care about you, and I can handle all these feelings, all these frustrations cast onto me. If while we were his enemy, he gave himself up and died for us and let us put all of our sin onto him on the cross, how much more now will he love us as his daughters and his sons? And finally, we can have hope because God promises to lift us up and, and, that, and that our present condition is not eternal. That though we are humbled, we will be lifted up. We will be glorified, the eternal glory in Christ, Peter writes. You know, we often, uh, in, in my RUF, we often talk about sort of the already and the not yet when we think about salvation. You know, especially as it pertains sort of to hope and God's promises, that we will experience some of the things hoped for in this life, but will not fully experience our salvation until Jesus returns. That you're actually more human as we serve and love others rather than sort of grasp at power or feed that desire to become God. That we will be restored, verse 10 says, hopefully sooner rather than later. And our present sufferings will make us stronger and deepen our faith in God. We will come out knowing God loves us even more than we realize right now. And so when we're done with this trial, we'll be ready for the next trial. And we'll be ready to help and comfort others when they go through trials as well. And we have hope to fight the loneliness. We all feel knowing that we are not going through this alone. You know, everyone here, everyone watching this, all of our neighbors are experiencing this pandemic. The suffering might look different. As some are, are mourning loss of loved ones, some are, uh, just being home in the midst of family dysfunction, some with extreme financial anxiety, some losing out sort of on a spring and summer and a fun sort of senior year of closure. Some frustrated with good grades and good resumes being harder to achieve during this time. You know, some frustrated with, you know, or just lonely and struggling with all the temptations that come with being alone. And I want you to know that you are not alone that you have brothers and sisters struggling with the same things. And the hope is that we will all be together soon. We already get to meet, you know, outside in a park every week. And, and we're more and more able to gather, hopefully. And fortunately, also, technology has made it possible for us to still meet together in fellowship, even when we can't actually be in person. So do not be afraid to reach out as, you know, as a helper or someone who needs help. And of course, the not yet of our hope, 
that will come when Jesus returns and sickness and loneliness and want will be no more. Uh, Tim Keller has this, and it's, it's a quote that's actually printed in your bulletins. The Christian hope is not just a consolation for the life you never had, nor a restoration for the life you had, nor even the creation of a life you wished you had, but the recreation of a life so good that you are unable at present to even wish you could ever have it. What he is saying there about hope is that Christian hope is not just the promise of a slightly better life. Whatever your regrets in the past, the changes or better choices you could have made, it's not the part of your life you want back, the best moment of your life repeated again and again. No, Christian hope is better than even that. It's not even better than the life you wish you had. Whatever your craziest dreams, it's not that. Christian hope is a life. The new heavens and new earth is a life beyond our wildest dreams. A life not worth comparing to any of the present suffering that we feel. And that is the hope we have for these present difficult times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word of encouragement and your gospel, Lord. I thank you that even as, as we are humbled, Lord, that is, it becomes a moment for us to understand your grace. I thank you that you are a God who allows us to be real and to bring all of our worries, our concerns, our anger, our emotions, our anxieties, and cast them onto you, Lord. And I pray for everyone here, especially those um, who are listening to this, who are really struggling, Lord, with loneliness, with hopelessness, with feeling maybe worthless or just extreme anxiety about what the next few months may hold, Lord, for them. I pray that, that your spirit would comfort them. I pray that this church, um, that, that they would reach out uh, um, or be pursued by others in this church and that, that you would embrace them with love and, and that, uh, that we would go out into Memphis being people who understand the hope we have in you and as people that are able to bring that hope to others. I praise your name. Amen.